Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Crestview Baptist Church. Thank you for uh, deciding to come and worship with us today. We are so glad to have you here as we begin our uh, revival today on this uh, Patriots Day, September 11th. Um, uh, a few announcements as we get our service started today. Um, there is, we have revival starting this morning. And it will be 6.30 tonight, 6.30 Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night here in the sanctuary. Uh, we have a special uh, speaker with us, which you will be introduced to later on. I look forward to that. Um, I was told to remind you that September is North Carolina Missions Month. Uh, there is an envelope in the, uh, in the bulletin that you can uh, place your North Carolina Missions offering in and drop it in the box, or you can take a regular envelope and just be sure you mark it North Carolina Missions offering. Um, right after service today, we will be um, uh, we will have communion right after service today. Uh, no, at the end of the service. Well, then I know that I was just kidding. It's at the end of the service. It's part of the service. I was I was keeping Artie on his toes this morning, make sure he was all right. I knew that. Um, do not forget um, all the other things going on in our church. Um, you see right here, um, there are lots of things going on. If you have a bulletin, you can keep an eye on there or um, see somebody in the individual committees and groups. Uh, Terry says we will be having a work day Thursday, weather permitting, uh, working on getting some stuff done around here on uh, September the 23rd. Uh, keep that in mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Mention this one again. We are feeding the uh, Crest football team that Friday, but and the band before their game. Uh, we need volunteers to help serve and to help with food. It is a it is a big task. Uh, it is an important task. We are we have an opportunity to come face to face with kids who may not. Uh, know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So it's a good opportunity for us as a church to be there. Uh, don't forget uh, deacons. We have a deacons meeting next week, and that just means we have a business meeting right after service next week. So keep those things in mind. Right now, I just ask that you take some time. Let's focus on God this morning and turn our hearts toward Him. I don't know if it's Chad keeping me on my toes or, or, or me keeping Chad on his toes, but uh, it is good to see everybody here this morning. I have been so looking forward to today, the start of our revival. We've been praying for this, praying for these services, praying for our speaker, and I'm going to tell you something. I have known our speaker for over 30 years now. And he has not grown an inch since, then, since I first met him. <laughs> he told me, he, he actually performed the wedding for Ginger and myself, and he told us, then I, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you're short. And he says, I've never been seen at a wedding yet. Were you seen at your wedding? Uh, yes. You, that was the only one? Uh, for about two minutes. <laughs> for about two minutes. But uh, it is great to have Richard Holden here um, with us to start our uh, revival services. And I just ask you to join us in prayer. Um, one announcement I do need to make. Um, I was, it was brought to my, I was made aware the fact that Nell Buff did pass away yesterday. Um, so be in prayer for Frank and, and family. 
as soon as I find out any information, um, I will let you know. I will send it to Joy, and she'll send it out by the prayer chain. But uh, just be in prayer for Frank. Um, he has been the primary caregiver. They have been married for almost 61 years. And Nell stayed on this earth just shy, I mean just shy, of 102 years. So she has seen a lot, and she lived a great life. And for 61 years, Frank has loved her and taken care of her. So just pray for him. Now, as we go to the Lord in prayer, please turn your, as Chad says, turn your hearts to God and join me in prayer as we open up our service together. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we come before you, humbly bowing before your throne. And dear Lord, it is such a privilege to be here today. To be together with people of, of like minds and like beliefs. Dear Lord, we may differ in some aspects, but in one aspect we are the same. And that is we owe everything to Jesus Christ. That we are saved by grace. And dear Lord, if it wasn't for you, I personally know that I would not be here today. And I am so grateful for that. Now, dear Lord, we invite your spirit to move among your people. You tell us that if two or more are gathered in your name, you will be in the midst of them. Dear Lord, we know you're here. But just as you did with the early church in the book of Acts, I ask that your spirit rock us at our foundation today. That you ignite in us something that has long been dormant. That you revive us again today. That you speak through Richard. Speak boldly through him this morning. Speak through Chad as he speaks to our young children today. Speak through Sandra and the choir as they lead us in worship. Dear Lord, that everything that is done and said will point to You. And above all, dear Lord, if there is someone listening online or here in person that does not know You as their personal Savior, Dear Lord, I pray that you would light a fire in them, that they would not be still, that they would be so uncomfortable by the power of the Holy Spirit until they accept you and accept what you have done for them. I pray that today, dear Lord. And dear Lord, we ask that you receive all the honor and glory for everything that takes place here today. And it's in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. We have come today to worship our risen Savior, and we are asking Him to fill us with the Holy Spirit. So you got to 
Open your hearts and allow the Spirit to fill you up, and then we'll be revived. So let us stand together as we sing 469, Revive Us Again. the kiddos to come down forward this morning. <laughs> All right, guys, how are y'all today? Everybody having a good week? Well, I am glad to see you guys today. Uh, I got a question. Have you ever been to a place that had a free candy bowl sitting out? And on the candy bowl, it says, please take one. Have you ever been there and it says that? You got one? All right, so my question is, if you went in to a place with a candy bowl that said, please take one, and nobody was looking, how tempted would you be to grab two or three? Would you be tempted? Maybe a little bit. You still grab one? That's good. But it could be tempting to grab more than one. Well, God tells us to be honest and accountable with the things that he puts in front of us today. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that as we go out. And we're going to look in the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, there's a story. About, a, about some uh, guys who were, were trusted with some, with some money and they were told to be accountable and honest with what they do. So what I want to encourage you guys to do today is short and sweet. I know we got revival and I'm excited. So what I want to encourage you guys to do in here and we're going to learn a lot more about it here in a few minutes is to be honest and accountable with what God gives you. And we're going to learn what that means, that accountable word. We're going to talk about that. So really what I'm asking you to do is do the right thing. It's not always easy to do the right thing. It's not always cool to do the right thing, as, we might, as your friends might say. But I promise you, it's always awesome in God's eyes to do the right thing. So next time you see a candy bowl that says, please take one, how many are you going to take? Just one, right? All right, let's bow our heads. Go to the Lord in prayer. 
God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for each one of these boys and girls that are here. Help us as we dive into your word here in a little bit and we learn more about you. All this we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can sit right here.
as I mentioned earlier, I'm so excited about today. This is what we have spent the last five weeks praying about and even previous, but coming together as our, uh, for our cottage prayer meetings and praying for our services that begin today as well as our speaker. And it is my privilege to introduce our speaker today. This is Pastor Richard Holden. He is currently in Marietta, Georgia. Um, but when I met him, he was called as pastor of First Baptist Church, Alcoa, Tennessee. And uh, he took pity on a young youth pastor that didn't know anything. But we saw some great things happen within that church. And in fact, you hadn't been there too long before we had a revival break out among our teenagers and ended up coming back from camp. And I think we baptized 12 or more teenagers and even continuing with youth workers that were accepting Christ and realizing they didn't know Jesus. So I am excited to have Richard come and speak to us today. And um, I ask you that you just forget about everything that's going on today and just listen to what God has for you today as he comes and speaks. Richard. Amen. Good morning, church. Whoa. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. That's a little better. That's a little bit better. I'm very happy to be here. I'm very honored that uh, Artie would invite me to come and share the pulpit. Having pastored for many, 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 many years, uh, the pulpit is a sacred place. And when you're the pastor of a church, for you to invite somebody to take position in that pulpit that you have been assigned to, it's indeed an honor to the one who has been invited, and I am grateful for that, sir. Thank you very much. I love Artie and Ginger Hubbard. I'm meeting their children for the first time this week, and I'm sure I'll grow to love them as well if I can keep all the names straight. Uh, they've apparently been real busy through the years, and uh, <clears throat> uh, I, I can't say that I taught that. I did perform the wedding, but uh, uh, I'm just glad that it is tied tight. And it's holding together, and they love each other, and they love Jesus, and I'm really happy to be here this morning. Open your Bibles today to the book of First Kings. First Kings. And I want you to find chapter 18. First Kings, chapter 18. And I want to preach to you this morning, or teach, or preach, or whatever you want to call it, the Mount Carmel experience. If you've never heard this story, uh, we're going to read some verses in just a few moments. I'm probably going to read more verses out of this passage than I usually do in a message, but in order for you to understand the message that I'm going to share with you in just a moment, we really need to listen carefully to this story. But before we begin, begin we're going to have a prayer time, and I'm going to ask a question before we pray. Listen carefully. This is not a trick. I don't do tricks. I don't do word games. I, I just, nothing wrong with that, those who are gifted in doing that. This is not a trick in any way, shape, or form. Do you really want revival? Bow your head and close your eyes. If you feel led to come to the altar, you can do that as well, because I'm going to ask you another couple of serious questions. 
when real revival happens, oftentimes, God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, will convict us of things in our lives that are not comfortable. He will convict us as individuals and as a church to do some things that are usually out of our comfort zone. Now, when, not if, when he asks you to do that, are you going to be obedient? If you are, we might see revival. If you're not obedient to what he asked, we won't see revival. It's that simple. So right now as you pray, if you're willing, I want you to pray this simple prayer. Dear God, whatever you ask of me right now, I am saying yes to your call. In Jesus' name, amen. I've had the honor of preaching the gospel for 51 years. I've prayed for 51 years for God to show me revival. I've come close a couple of times, but I haven't seen it yet. I would just as soon he show it to me at Crestview Baptist Church this week and let it start here is anywhere I've ever been. And I hope you're with me. I hope you're on that same page. Hang tight, bear with me, because I see that you see verse 22 up on the screen because that's what I told the folks. I'm going to back up to verse 1. Verse 1 and I want you to open your Bible. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, I'm sure if you ask this pastor, he'll find a way through the church to get you one. If you have a phone, if you have an iPad, whatever you have, I want you to find this scripture. You will understand it much better if you're looking along with me and listening. I usually ask people to stand when I read the scripture but because I'm reading so many verses this morning, I'm going to be nice and let you stay seated. Verse 1, chapter 18. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Keep in mind, it had rained for three years, okay? Keep that in mind, important. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, uh, for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 150 prophets, hidden them 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find 
grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill all the livestock. So they uh, divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, It is you, my lord Elijah. And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master Elijah is here. Now, watch how this develops. So he said, How have I sinned? that you're delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass. As soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord and how I hid 150 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here, he will kill me. I think he's scared. What do you think? Y'all okay so far? Keep listening. Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when it happened, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. In that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. The Baals were satanic. The Baals were the gods of the devil. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Are you counting? 850 demonic prophets gathering at Mount Carmel. Verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah said to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left, the prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. In other words, they said, that's a good idea. Let's go for it. 
Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leapt about the altar that they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and cried aloud for, and cried aloud for he is a God. Is he either meditating or is he busy or is he on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened? You mean to tell me that a preacher made fun of people like that? Yes, he did. So they cried aloud and cut themselves. Wow, is that 21st century? People think the Old Testament is old-fashioned. Huh. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So they all came near to him. <clears throat> and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice on the wood. Folks, those water pots were equal to what you and I would know as a 55-gallon drum today. Now, are you remembering the very beginning of this story? It hadn't rained in three years. Don't forget that. Hadn't rained in three years. So would you estimate then that water was a very precious commodity at this point? Then he said, do it a second time. And do it a second time. That's 12 55-gallon drums full of water. Get in the picture? Do it a third time. Do it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things according to your word. Hear me, O Lord, that the people may know that you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. That's revival. Back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the woods, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up all the water that was in the trench. 
Anybody in here ever seen a rock burn or dirt burn? Didn't think so. Me either. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Do portions of this story sound vaguely familiar regarding the Christian church in America today? Yes, they do. Unfortunately, yes, they do. Now, it's not that we're not trying. We are. We're trying very hard. Our church calendars are, are filled with services and retreats and conferences and programs. We're busy and we're very earnest in a lot of cases and in many cases very, very sincere. But there is still a deafening silence from heaven. There's no fire. All of the busyness has produced some good things, no doubt, except the one thing that we desperately need, and that is fire from heaven. Now, while the average church leader is incredibly busy trying to produce some sparks, most church members are just sitting back wondering. They're not saying it out loud, but they're wondering, and they're watching, and they're waiting. Some people are probably thinking things that they would never verbalize but they're thinking them things like, is there really a God? And is he really as powerful as the pastor keeps saying that he is? After all, we certainly have never seen anything supernatural or unexplainable. Most of what we have seen can merely be accounted for in human terms. Now, hang with me. I've been a Baptist a long time. I was a Baptist before I was a Christian. Y'all all right? Mama enrolled me in a cradle row nine months before I was born. Y'all okay? Got this? So I'm qualified to talk about us. Most of what we see in a lot of our churches today is, huh, Look at that new building out there. Boy, we're really proud of that. Yeah, we built that. We built what we could afford. Uh-oh. Y'all okay? Look at that great thing going on down there at the church, that great children's program. We built that. We called that great children's pastor we got. We we, we, we. And if we remain content to do what we can do, God will let us. But we don't see much supernatural. 
We don't see much of what is unexplainable. The prophet of God now steps up and he calls the people to listen. And he challenges the people, if I may say it this way, to get off the fence. Either serve God or serve Baal, which is going to be, you can't ride the fence. You can't be uh, one hand in the world and one hand in the church. You can't have your secular life and your church life. He said, you got to make a choice. You got to do one or the other. And then comes this simple, short little prayer, Brother Artie. Simple, short little prayer. Here's the prayer. Are you ready? I want you to memorize this. You can. You'll memorize it. You ready? Here's the prayer. Fire. That was it. I'm reminded of D.L. Moody preaching a revival many, many years ago, and they called on a gentleman to get up and pray before Moody would preach. And he got up and he prayed 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 and he prayed. They said, finally, Dr. Moody just got up off of the chair over there. He came up and he kind of pushed the gentleman away from the altar while he was still praying. said, we're going to go ahead and begin the service while Brother Smith catches up on his prayer life. I think we pray sometimes to impress ourselves. We pray sometimes to impress ourselves with all the times we've been to school. We want to impress the people that are listening to us that we've been to school and we know a lot of 50-cent words. Oh, excuse me, inflation, $5 words now. Fire! No matches. No kerosene. No tricks. Just fire. Fire from heaven. The fire of God. So first I want to ask you this question. What is the fire of God? The fire of God is the manifest presence of the glory of God. Manifest meaning made real, visible, something you can see, something you can experience, something you can be a part of. I am talking about the supernatural power of God. I'm talking about worship services that are way more than just nice preaching and wonderful music. I'm talking about the results that cannot be explained in a human effort. You can't go to lunch today and say, well, let me tell you what happened at the church today because you can't explain it. There are no words for it. God showed up and God showed out. I'm talking about that which cannot be programmed, that which cannot be manipulated, that which cannot be planned, or that which cannot be made to happen. I'm talking about something out of the ordinary, I'm talking about something that is extraordinary, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. That is what the fire of God is. Now, back to the beginning. Listen carefully. I ask you if you wanted revival. All of you that have been a part of Crestview, maybe some of you from the beginning. All of you that are church leaders, I'll even start with the pastor, deacons, Sunday school teachers, everybody that's here, all the staff, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready to give up control? Are you ready to give up any power that you think you might have in this church? Because when real revival happens and the fire of God shows up, you're going to lose that. And you're going to be willing to lose it when the fire of God shows up. Now, I hope it didn't make you mad. 
But stay with me because we're driving to a point here. That's what the fire of God is. What does the fire of God do? Second thing I want you to see. What does the fire of God do? Well, when the fire falls, we see God for who He really is. Both the Old and the New Testaments reveal God to be a God of fire. Now, we have developed a concept in modern American culture today that God is some gray-haired grandfather, cosmic grandfather, who is passively tolerating and maybe even winking at the sin in the world and in the church. However, God is a God of justice and wrath who judges those who willingly ignore the provision of the cross by continuing to engage in willful sin. We have seen a rampant theology running around America today that is false. I have chosen to call it the prostitution of grace. We have developed a group of Christians around America today whose motive is is to see how much sin I can really get away with. Well, And they're always asking, well, you think this is okay? You think it's okay for a believer to do this? You think it's okay for a believer to do this? I always back up when I meet a believer like that. Do you think it's okay? Because they're just trying to see what they can get away with. And then they'll blame it on grace. The grace of Scripture never teaches that you can willfully sin and get by with it. That's not what the grace of the Bible is. The grace of the Bible is, is that God will save you by His grace because He knows that you and I don't have a chance of ever getting into heaven by good works. So it had to be the grace of God that saved us. But after we have accepted the grace of God in salvation, there is absolutely nowhere in the Old or New Testament that teaches us that that grace is a license to live like hell while still calling ourselves a believer in Christ. It's not there. Nowhere. When the fire falls, God shows up. And when the fire falls and God shows up, people are more comfortable on their face on the floor than they are sitting in the pew. When the fire of God shows up, we need to remember that it showed up in the Apostle John's life, and when it did, he fell backward because he was terrorized by the vision of God. The prophet Isaiah responded to the vision of God by acknowledging his own uncleanness. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. Friend, I want to ask you a question. How long has it been since you have seen God? How long has it been? How long has it been since you have been arrested by His power and His holiness? When fire falls, it will consume everything that is earthly, everything that is unholy, everything that is temporal, because you see, the fire of God purifies, and it melts, and it devours. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. Malachi 3, verse 3 says, God is a refiner's fire. He brings all the impurity. Watch this, watch this. He brings all of the impurities to the top and exposes them for what they really are. That's what happened when the fire of God comes. When the fire falls, here's another thing that happens. Sin 
is judged completely and uncompromisingly. I grew up in the country in East Tennessee. I grew up in a country Baptist church. We were Southern Baptists. We gave demissions. We did all that. No, we weren't independent. No, we weren't some uh, far right wing Brent. No, we were Southern Baptists. But I never saw a Baptist hymnal until I was 12 years old. We sung out of the old Redback Church of God books. Y'all ever seen those shape notes? Anybody even know what that is? Oh, you need to know. It'll bless your soul, let me tell you. We did that. I never saw a church with a choir robe until I was 12 years old. Glad I don't see many of them anymore, too. But I used to remember, Brother Artie, when we had revival. I hope you're listening. Are you listening? When he, we had revival, and it wouldn't just have to be revival. It was every Sunday. Now, granted, a lot of the pastors in those days, I remember many of them very well, their sermons weren't really deep and theological, and they didn't dig in the Word. They'd preach on girls, you shouldn't wear short dresses. Boys, you shouldn't wear your hair long. You shouldn't smoke that. You shouldn't drink that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. I see some of you grinning. You remember some of that, don't you? I'm glad we're digging deeper into the Word today. I really am. I'm not putting that away. I'm really glad we're digging. And I'm going to try to do that all these days I'm with you is dig down into the Word and see what the Word says. And I don't, I, I don't pretend to understand all what happened back in the day and all that kind of thing, but all I know is this. There used to be people in the altar. I hope you're listening. And yeah, there was a lot of lost people in the altar who got saved, but it Mm. It wasn't all lost people. It was believers, Christ followers, good ones who were convicted of their sin when they would listen to the message of God. They were convicted of their sin. They didn't want that sin in their life. They wanted to be pure. They wanted to be holy. And when the preacher gave the altar call, they came to the altar. They knelt before God. They wept sometimes loudly, and they prayed, God, please purify my heart and my life. Where did that go? Where did it go? Here's another thing. When the fire of God comes, there is a deep conviction and grief over sin, brokenness, and genuine repentance will replace a casual attitude towards sin. Notice how we've gotten casual about sin these days? That breaks my heart. We'll mention some kind of sin that's running rampant in schools today and everywhere else all around America. And church people say, well, bless their hearts. We're casual about it. When it's killing folk. Here's another thing. When the fire of God falls, the efforts and the motives of believers will be exposed. Artie, you don't know this because this happened in my life after you left First Baptist Alcoa. But toward the end of my ministry there, listen, folks, this is the preacher talking. God got all over me, and he broke me 
and he put me on my face. And this is what he told me. He said, son, your motives are so wrong. He said, all you're about is making sure this building is full every week of bodies. All you're about is preaching in such a way that everybody's going to notice you. All you're about is seeing how many positions you can hold in the association and the state convention and the national convention. And at that point, I'd done all of them. He said, you're more concerned about yourself and your success than you are about me and people getting right with God. That's a true testimony for me. My motives were exposed. And I had to repent. And I had to get right with God. Artie, I've had so much more fun since then. I've enjoyed God so much more since then. And the stress levels of the ministry plummeted. Shoo! Went down a heartbeat. Still some there, but not like that. Here's another thing. <laughs> when the fire falls, our methods and our programs are going to be totally yielded to the Lordship of Christ, and the Holy Spirit is going to be in charge. You know what the seven last dying words of the church are? Anybody want to know? We've never done it that way before. Hmm? Y'all know? Well, I'm going to give you a deep theological answer to that. Okay? We've never done it that way before. You listening? So? I mean, what does that prove? It's because we've never done it that way before. I don't really have time to tell this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. You hear about the young couple that got married? They were going to eat one day, and the old boy said, you know what, I've been craving some ham. I'm going to go ahead and get a ham. I said, all right, go ahead and get one. So she brought it in the house. She got ready to cook that ham, and the end of it was right there, the end of the ham. She took a knife, and she cut that end off. And then he said, huh. He said, I've never seen that before. Why do you cut the end of that ham off? She says, I don't know. I said, Mama always did it. Well, Mama was still living. She said, well, I'm just curious. I said, why don't you call Mama and ask her why she did it? There's got to be a reason. Okay, called Mama. Mama, cutting in this ham off. My husband won't know why I do that. I says, because you did it. Why did you do it, Mama? She said, I don't know. Grandma always did it. Cut in that ham off. I said, oh, well, they were really blessed because Grandma's still living. So they called Grandma and said, Grandma, we got this question. We need to get it answered. Why do you cut the end of the ham off before you cook it every time? She said, because I never had a pan big enough for it to fit in. Have you ever stopped and thought that just possibly some, not all, not all, some of the things we do, we might just be doing because some human thought of it and thought it would be a good idea, but we've never consulted the Heavenly Father about it. Mm. 
When the fire falls, there's going to be power, there's going to be purity, there's going to be spontaneity and reality. My question is, where is the fire of God today? And the last thing I want you to see this morning is this. Don't pack up. Listen carefully. Why do we not have the fire of God? Well, first of all, we don't have the fire of God because we don't think we really need it. In many cases today, we just don't think we need it, and we are content to live without it. You see, the Israelites did not think that they needed fire. They thought they needed water. Oh, what a point. You see, they were more focused on their felt need while ignoring their real need. Hadn't rained for three years. If that had been a Baptist committee that said, man, we need to figure out some way to get water. Am I right? Yes. Am I right? Of course I'm right. But they were not thinking about the fire. They were thinking about themselves. They weren't thinking about the fire of God. You see, for the most part, our nation and our churches and our homes and our lives are devoid of the power of God. But when asked, oh, watch this. But when we are asked what our needs are, we talk about more buildings, we talk about bigger budgets, we talk about more staff, we talk about more equipment. Why can we not see that our real need is for God Himself? That's our need. You see, some have said, that if the Holy Spirit were taken out of many of our churches today, that business would go on as usual. Hmm. We have become blinded to our condition. We are like the Laodicean church in the Revelation. We think that we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Today, Many think the church in America is doing okay. Some think it's doing real well. If that's the case, then why is there every form of moral impurity running rampant in Bible preaching churches today? Why are you listening to this? Why is the divorce rate higher in the church than it is in the world. It's a fact. Why do the majority of American Christians never lead anybody to faith in Christ? Did you know what an alarming statistic that 97 0.5% of all Christians in America, including all denominations, have never led anyone to faith in Christ. And most of which have never even tried. What, do we think they're just going to automatically know on their own?
when we meet in here on Sunday mornings, I guess I can't see much over here. You go up here and look at these cars going up and down the highway and all these houses we pass. And we don't even know most of them. Yeah, old John down there. Old John down there, he don't know Jesus. Well, number one, how do you know that? And number two, have you ever been to tell him about him? Before I went to Alcoa, I was in a church in Lenore City, Tennessee. I went up three blocks from the church up a street, sat down with a young family. They were in their 30s. Sat down with a young family in their home, talked to them about Jesus. I was blessed enough to be at the right place at the right time, led both the husband and wife to Christ. They later on became members of our church there, and they told me that they had lived there for 10 years ever since they'd gotten married, and I was the first person from the church who had ever been by to talk to them. Three blocks away. Three blocks away. That's no pat on my back. It's just a sad commentary on where we are in a lot of things. Why is it that people, Brother Artie, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, I have. Why is it that people, sometimes you give a gospel invitation, you just preach your heart out, you preach, so you give a gospel invitation. Why is it there's some people that come down the aisle uh, laughing? They don't take God seriously. Why are our churches just overloaded with one service per week attendees who have no interest whatsoever in spiritual growth? Why is it that pastors have to twist arms and get people to get people to give and to serve? All across America today, another statistic that's blow your mind, all denominations included, everybody included, I'm sure this average doesn't apply here at Crestview, I'm almost positive of that. But all across America, if you average it out, you know the average Christian in America today gives 1.7% of their income to the ministries of the church. 1.7%. But do you see the opposite side of the fact? Do you realize that if every Christian in America today did what the Bible said and tithed of their income to the church, you'd never have to take an offering? Never. And why is the world totally disinterested in what the church has to offer? Whether it's, whether it's dress, whether it's style of music, whether it's lighting, whether it's the type of building we build, no matter what it is, over the years, we have progressively more and more and more attempted to look and act and sound like the world. And our premise all along is, is so that we can reach more young people. We need to continue to try everything we can to reach more young people. Well, not putting all that down, but I'm just here to tell you, there are fewer young people going to church today than there ever have been in the history. So it ain't working. I went to school a long time to be able to say, ain't, don't any English teachers get on me here, okay? It's not working. So we need to try something else. 
because this is not getting the job done. Fewer people are being baptized. Fewer people are attending church. Fewer people are not, uh, are not interested in the church at all like they used to be years ago. So whatever we've been trying, we need to stop it and we need to try God. We need to beg for the fire of God. We need to get on our faces and say, God, more than all of that, we want you. We want you to be there. And when we try God, guess what? He will draw the people. You don't have to worry about that. He will draw the money you need. He will do this. He will do that. But you've got to put everything else aside and know that he is God and we are not. And as long as we think we're doing okay, we'll never cry out to God for the fire to fall from heaven. We've got to get desperate. Here's the second thing, and I'm hurrying. I'll be through in just a minute. Listen carefully. Second thing is we really don't want it. Another reason we don't have the fire of God is because we don't want the fire of God. Oh, yes, we do, preacher. Oh, yes, we do. But you know what we want? We want performing fire. We want fire that fattens our budgets. We want fire that packs the auditoriums. We want fire that draws attention to the church itself. But we don't want the fire that consumes, destroys, exposes, roots up, burns, and hurts. We're afraid of what really might happen if God showed up. We're afraid our comfort zone is going to be destroyed. Folks, listen. Been here, done that through these years. We're so scared in Baptist churches, all churches really, to let go and let God have his way. We're so scared that we might get out on a limb that we haven't even climbed the tree. We also don't want the kind of preaching that precedes revival. We want to love and encourage everybody all the time. Marty, not putting anybody down here, but we've come so seeker-friendly, it's about time we get God-friendly. Think about that term, seeker-friendly, seeker-friendly. So you're wanting to make the lost person comfortable when he comes into the house of God? Hello? I mean, we want to be friendly, we want to be loving, we want to be kind, we want to be nice. But if they're lost without God and in sin up to their neck and running away from God, they get into the house of God and hear the word of God, yeah, they're going to get uncomfortable. Yeah, they might even get mad. But I trust the Spirit of God to do in them what He needs to do without me watering down the gospel to put it on their level, which then becomes no gospel. I know it. I get it. And like I said earlier, I've done this a long time. We don't much care for preaching on sin and repentance and holiness and brokenness and confession. People say we should not put people on guilt trips. I wish folks were half as concerned about having a proper view of God as they are about having a proper view of themselves. 
I'm through in four minutes when I tell you this. Listen carefully. We don't believe it can happen today. In order to justify our spiritual impotence, we have dispensationalized almost all of the Word of God away. Oh, that's Old Testament. We don't have to follow that. Who said? Hardy and I were just talking about this last night. The book of 1 Timothy says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it. Every bit of it. So in our concern to avoid the excesses and abusement and the abuses of certain movements in the world, we have altogether denied the possibility of the supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We don't even pray for the fire of God because we do not believe it will work that way. We do not believe can God can still move that way in the 21st century. And some are even bold enough to say he don't work that way anymore. Boy, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Are we willing to pay the price to get it? I'm not sure. We want what is instant, costless, painless revival. We want all the benefits without the cost. We want the gain without the pain. We want the healing without the surgery. We want the joy without the mourning. The revival is a process of plowing up hard hearts before the seed can be planted. You got to plow. You got to dig it up before the seeds can be planted. Plowing is painful. Plowing takes time. I'm looking around this building. I see a couple old fellas in here. Might even been behind an old mule before. Watching that thing pull down and try to dig up that hard ground. Plowing's tough. Elijah spent three and a half years getting ready for the fire to come. Now, if we want the fire, we've got to allow God to be God, but we've got to be willing to pay the price. Are you listening? We've got to be willing to pay the price and give up what is most precious to us. In their case, it was water for the fire to fall. I don't know what God may require of you I don't know what God may require of your church, but you must be willing to sacrifice and lay it all on the altar, every bit of it, for the fire to fall. Do you want the fire? Do you want the fire of God? How badly do you want it? What price are you willing to pay to get it? Or are you... Just content to go on without it. I believe you want the fire. I believe some of you do. Maybe all of you do. I know you've been having these cottage prayer meetings. I'm grateful that you've been doing that. And I know you've been praying and asking God for revival. Now, are you willing this morning, two parts to the invitation. Are you willing first and foremost this morning as a Christ follower and as a member of this church, when the altar call is given for a few minutes, and I can say to you before God, I'll have to give an account to God for this. I'm not making this type of invitation just to get people down in this altar to make me feel good. I already feel good. I want you to feel good. But if you're a member of this church and you're a Christ follower, 
Are you willing to come down to this altar and say, I know what it is in my life. He's been convicting me of this for a long time, and I repent and confess it before Jesus right now. If that's not the case, are you willing to come down to this altar and say, Lord, I don't know what it is. I'm not sure, but I ask you to put your holy searchlight on my life and expose whatever it is in my life that I'm not even aware of and root it up and dig it out so that I will not be a hindrance to revival and moving in our church. And the last, no in particular order, you're here this morning and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus. This morning is a good time to start that. All you got to do is come to him. And he said, I'll come to you. I'll come. If you just ask me, I'll come. I won't question you. Well, that preacher, you don't know my life. You don't know my sin. No, I don't, but God does. And he said, I love you, and I want you to come. I want you to come. Stand together with me all over the building if you're able. Stand all over the building if you're able. Bow your heads, and let's pray together. And as soon as we say the amen, whether the music is started or not, as soon as we say the amen, if you want the fire of God to come in your life, and you're willing to confess and repent and open up your life to the Lord so that the fire can come, then you make that first step. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for its power. Thank you for the way that you have spoken. And I pray, God, this day now that you will have your will in your way in all that happens in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You come right now while we begin. Pastor will be here if you need to pray with him. Whatever you need to do.
over yet, but you may go ahead and have a seat. And I'd ask the deacons to come forward as they come. It has been a long time since I've been preached to like that. And I have to confess something to you guys. For the last two years, I have been so angry. Angry about stuff going on in my personal life. Angry about the stupid pandemic. And angry about the effect it was having on churches. And I have allowed that mainly because of fear. Fear of what was going to happen. Fear if we weren't going to be able to keep the doors open. Fear if I was going to have enough money to pay bills. <coughs> but our God is not a God of And I'm sick and tired of being somewhere else, working at the distribution center or wherever, because if we let fear stop us, we're just spinning our wheels, and we are useless. So we have probably come to one of the most important parts of our service today. We're going to celebrate communion. Celebrate what Christ has done for us. And I want you to examine your hearts. Before you partake, we, we, we offer open communion here. What that means is that you do not have to be a member of our church. The only requirement that we, we require for you to accept and participate in communion is that you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. That you have confessed 
and accepted him as your personal Savior. That's the only requirement. See, we in the Baptist church, we only, we only do two what we call ordinances. We don't have all these other things that we have to do to be Baptist. We're Baptists by choice, but we're Christians. We're disciples of Christ by the grace of God. We have baptism, believer's baptism, as an outward expression following the example of Jesus Christ, but an outward expression of what has happened internally through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. And then the second is obeying the command of Christ where he says, we do this in remembrance of me. You see, right before the resurrection, they were celebrating Passover. And Jesus gathered his disciples into the upper room. And as they were going through the Seder meal, the last meal of, of, of Passover, he came and he took, he took that bread and he prayed over it and he blessed it. And he told his disciples, this is my body that is broken for you. And I want you to keep that in your picture, that his body as it was wracked with pain, it was beating, beaten, and it was pure agony as he hung there on the cross for us. And I want you to keep that picture in your mind as our, as our deacons distribute the bread this morning.
said, take and eat. And as he continued through the Seder, he took the cup and he held it up and said, this is my blood that is shed for you. See, since the very beginning of time, since Adam and Eve, there had to be a shedding of blood to cover sin. When Adam and Eve committed the first sin, and they realized that they were in the garden and they were naked, God had to take an animal, and he killed that animal and took the skin and made them made their clothes, coverings, to cover their nakedness. And from that moment on, there had to be a shedding of blood, a repeated shedding of blood to cover the sins, to cover our sins. But even from the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. And that plan was Jesus Christ to become the perfect Lamb of God to be the sacrifice for us. And as he was preparing to go to the cross and become that sacrifice, he told his disciples that that cup represented the blood, his precious blood, that was going to be spilled and shed for them.
Lord, thank you for the love that caused you to shed your blood for us. Bless us. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. And then Jesus said, take and drink. Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. Hymn number 426. Would you say? And don't forget 630 tonight. I'd love to see everyone back here and even more tonight as we continue our services. Thank you for letting us let it go through the preacher and all to flow through him and let it come out to each and every one of us so we can fill our cups. And Lord, you loved us first. So let us show love to you and everybody else and go and guide us. Keep us all safe in your name, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>